Greetings, Parish Orphans and Retrogrades. Happy Saturday. Today is a kind of solemn show on a Saturday. I will be speaking with a clerical ritual rape victim, Rachel Mastrogiacomo. In one second, I'm going to introduce her to you. Rachel's story is obviously as grave as it comes. Uh, what's not grave is that she has been delivered um, since the extremely traumatic satanic events that took place in her life or, or early in her 20s. And her story can be instructive. That's the silver lining. That's the good part. So it's a more serious show than we normally do here, because even though we're always talking about issues of spiritual life and death and sometimes practical life and death, this is intimately bound up with uh, satanic covens in Rome, perhaps in America. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce Miss Mrs. Rachel Master Giacomo, who is going to characterize in as broad or narrow terms as she'd like the uh, grooming and brainwashing process. But first off, Rachel, thanks for joining Rules for Retrogrades today. Oh, Tim, thank you so much. I'm so grateful to be here. My husband, Rich, and I have followed you for quite some time. So this is such a gift. Yeah, man. And, and what's, what's a gift to everyone, I can only begin to imagine, is to be a, in, in some senses, a cautionary example. I mean, in a much less poignant sense, I understand this world's less poignant as, as a, like a teacher that lost his job for criticizing black lives matter. That's just the tip of the iceberg compared to what you've gone through, which is, as the title suggests you were the victim of a clerical ritual rape that was leading you, you opine strongly with what I would call almost prima facie evidence to the next step would have been, uh, being the victim of an actual black mass. If you want, perhaps you could begin to characterize for us today and, and thereby in, enlighten everybody as to what really seems to be going on mm -hmm. as described by others such as Malachi Martin, mm -hmm. his fact and fiction character, Agnes from Windswept House. Um, you are like Agnes, a, a little bit older when the events uh, happened to you. But would you, Rachel, please characterize for us in as broad or narrow terms as you're comfortable, the grooming and the brainwashing process. You were at the uh, Pontifical Angelicum, uh, the Dominican University there in Rome, one year after I was there. So it begins there, yeah? It does. It, begin, it begins in Rome, right? Um, I'm so grateful that you brought up Agnes. Um, Agnes is my hero and uh, she's known my story now for a couple of years. And for that, I am so grateful. Um, she has served as a sort of compass for me long before I ever discovered my exorcist and those individuals who have actually helped me to better understand what happened. You know, I, I had come across windswept house. This is back in 2016, just alone in my little house, just reading the prologue and, and saying, who is Agnes? Because if anybody will understand my story, it's her, you know, so she has served as sort of like a compass for me. And, and now, you know, years have passed and God in his mercy and in his love for me has brought those individuals such as my exorcist 
into my life. So I'm better equipped to speak about this with clarity and conviction Uh, because for the longest time, oh my gosh, satanic ritual abuse. I was like, so skeptical of this, you know, and yet my experience was really pointing in that direction. And so I was kind of battling this, my own skepticism, if you will, but then uh, being brought to, to my exorcist and, and others, um, I'm at a point where I can say with firm conviction, uh, you know, my belief about what this was, it was satanic. Uh, so yes, when I was um, a little girl, I was a, just very spiritual kid. I loved um, going to mass every morning with my dad. Uh, he was my world. Um, we'd go every morning and I would just invite Jesus to come into my heart. And um, my dad just had such a special uh, a role in my life. And when I was 13, he had a massive heart attack and he died. And um, the way that I coped with this trauma was I became almost overly religious, if you will, throughout my teenage years and even into my early 20s, I struggled with severe scrupulosity and wanted to fulfill God's uh, will with just perfect obedience. And so um, it was really, you know, these attributes uh, that were weaponized against me. Um, when I went to Rome at the, at the age of 23, I was, uh, I had just graduated from Steubenville, Franciscan U- University of Steubenville, and I was at a crossroads in my life um, in terms of vocation. I wanted to imitate my favorite saint, Therese of Lisieux, and uh, go to Rome, uh, and, you know, ask God before the bones of St. Peter to give me my vocation. Um, and I was kind of battling between, is, am I called to religious life or am I called to marriage? Uh, And right in this sort of most vulnerable moment of discernment and just, you know, I was at a crossroads in my life, um, this predator, this very dark and calculated predator spotted me in Rome and uh, saw how scrupulous and how, um, I guess you could say, how wholehearted I was in my pursuit of God and of sanctity. And over the course of a 10-month grooming process, he essentially convinced me, I mean, and this was very calculated, very slow, very calculated. He essentially convinced me that because I was so pure, because I was a virgin, because I was uh, so much like uh, the Blessed Mother, I was called to a special secret marriage in which I would be given fully to God and that this would be uh, contracted really in the holy sacrifice of the mass. This was entirely mystical. Uh, You know, he never said anything satanic-y. Everything was cloaked with Catholic mysticism, but he essentially seduced me, not physically, but with occult witchcraft. That is what I can say with That's what I believe. That's what my exorcist believes. He was um, sort of spiritually seducing me into this ritual, but using using all Catholic, uh, basically using the faith against me. So if if, if I could just jump in real quick, Rachel, because we spoke semi-exhaustively before uh, running the interview here. We just were talking on the phone. 
Yeah. There, there are gory details. You've given more of the details to other people. I don't want to like Janet Smith. You recently gave uh, some of the details to Patrick Coffin. For folks that are, that listen with your families, mm-hmm. that's not going to be the emphasis of this show. What yeah. I like to do, like a gumshoe, is sound out the big patterns. Yeah. And the big patterns, particularly on the heels of reading Windswept House, I'm in this mode where there are covens that are uh, evidently scattered around the U.S. and Rome. And this seems to explain not just the sex magic, pedo perversion, all the molestation that's happened in the last 60 to 80 years in the church, but it also explains what we see liturgically, the total uh, intentional destruction of the faith, etc. So that's always what I'm after, is seeing the patterns in the white noise, seeing the patterns in the static. But there will be some of your details that, that probably slip through. And I can just say, you and I, I, I know defamation law decently well. So I, I, I'm telling you, say, hey, this is what I opine. This is my opinion of the events. Um, I can just say it's a strong opinion. Uh, this is a almost a prima facie case of when you told me the events, let me tell the people out there listening. When you told me the, the, the facts of what the actual sexual assault was, yes, um, maybe you could just get out in the most general yeah. terms. When you were telling me this, I thought that this had been a black mass. You were basically doing dress rehearsals for a black mass. Yes. So you were sexually assaulted. People who are listening with, with real little kids, uh, maybe, maybe usher them from the room. You were being assaulted in a way that the first three minutes that I was hearing the story, I thought you were in the sanctuary and I thought that this had been a fait accompli, an actual uh, black mass completed. I was assuming there were cone celebrants there. Do you just in the most broad terms want to say it wasn't yet a black mass, but it was all the, you were brought all the way up to black mass such that your aggressor who is uh, Bertrand, he mm-hmm. even made a, a confession at law, right? And was, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? That part's fact. Yes. So um, according to my exorcist, I was in the calculated process of, um, it was a grooming process for a satanic black mass ritual. He believes with absolute certainty that this was Satanism. There's not a doubt in his mind. He said the evidence is all there. I have come to trust my exorcist. Uh, So I identify as a survivor of satanic ritual abuse within the Catholic church. Um, Now, kind of lost my train of thought there. Yeah, so let me jump in real quick. People are asking, um, this was a priest, right? That did this. Yes. This is Father, can we say his full name? Yes. Uh, Father Jacob Bertram from the Diocese of San Diego. And I Father Jacob Bertrand from the Diocese of San Diego, whom you met at the Angelicum, right? In Rome, yes. Yes, in Rome. Okay, so that's that's starters, people. And, you know, you were a 23-year-old devout Catholic with a degree from Franciscan University doing, um, doing graduate studies at the Ange, 
as, mm-hmm. as we called it. I, I'll, I was at the Angelicum a year before you were. Um, what, what did you have your degree in from Franciscan, by the way? Theology and religious education with a concentration in youth ministry. Nice. So you, you had an emphasis on ministry and you believe yeah. that that has to do with the events that, that, that unfold from here. So he approached you, I, I seeing you uh, just objectively someone that really a young woman who was in love with the faith yes. that was, he probably wanted to talk to you. It was important. You and your uh, exorcist have all but ascertained you, you, you strongly opine, you have yes. substantial certainty that it was important to him for, to talk to you. This young woman's in love with her faith, mm-hmm. um, bright eyed and full of, of holy energy for the mm-hmm. faith ministry yes. energy. Probably he wanted to find out, you think, whether or not you were a virgin. Can you, oh, yes. can you tell everyone thing. about that? That's very important. The first thing that he confirmed was my virginity. And had I not been a virgin, And he did it in this really sly way that seemed really holy. I thought I was having a holy conversation with a man in a collar. I was, you know, professing the greatness of God that he had, you know, preserved my virginity and that chastity was possible. And I was sharing this, you know, kind of just so innocently and free with with a man of God um, in hopes of kind of encouraging him that, you know, with God, all things are possible. Uh, holiness is possible. You know, it's, it's this day and age, there's not many people who are still virgins in their, in their twenties, but I was excited to, um, to give God glory in that way. But he, he needed to uh, confirm that if he was going to be moving forward with this type of predation. So my virginity was essential for the ritual in which he was, uh, you know, for which he was preparing me. Um, Yeah. 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 What did, how did he, how did he bring it up? I mean, did you mind? It was like the first or second conversation. He was like, well, what did he say? Said, You're a virgin, right? That's not a normal thing to say. To oh somebody. gosh. Well, every thing, every single thing that he said was, it was all holy talk, but what was going on in the heart was very malicious. It was very evil, but it was always masked in light. I mean, it was very Luciferian in that way. I, I just was, so trusting is basically what he said was the Holy Spirit. He brought me to the fifth floor of the North American College. So right overlooking the Vatican. So I see, you know, the Vatican right in the distance. And, and uh, he basically said, the Holy Spirit is inviting me to tell you a little bit about my past. And so I felt like, oh, my goodness, the weight of responsibility, this, this clergyman is um, entrusting some personal information with me. And he talked about his sexual history. And at the time, no real red flags went off. Uh, I was just naive and trusting. And, and I just saw this as an opportunity to say, you know, well, well, I'm a virgin. And, and then so that, that I, I, from that, that point forward, I, uh, you know, shared with him, I guess my story. And, and, and so he got the information he was looking for. And then he continued on with his predation over the course of, of 10 months. And like I said, he, he eventually convinced me that because I was so pure and because I represented Our Lady in a particular way, I had to say yes to God, like Mary. I had to be like Mary and, and trust him, um, you know, and follow him into this new sort of secretive, um, you know, ritualistic uh, encounter that 
you know, he, he promised we would, would secure my salvation and my sanctity. And I was totally duped, um, you know, yeah, conversational him. symmetry, by the way, mm-hmm. invited you to, if someone's like, let me tell you something about yes. my sexual past conversational symmetry invites you to either if, if you're not going to be bold and just say, look, the convo ends there. I, this is weird, dude. Like I'm going to go play some kickball or whatever. Yes. Uh, you, you, the next thing for you to say is, oh, well, here's mine. You know, here's my, my past. I have none. I'm a virgin. And, and you're, you're, you feel quite certain that that's what he was. Uh, that was the purpose in his starting the conversation, right? Yes, because um, for the particular blood rituals, you know, it was essential um, Right. That, anatomical um, reasons yes. yeah the, the the blood is really important to satanism is that yes. correct in your experience yes. so yeah for, for it's anatom- all about blood rituals yes gotcha virgins are important because of the exigencies of blood rituals everyone can i would have been i would he, if, if i had not been a virgin he would have walked away from me I, that's what i believe i you know he was looking for me for this particular thing Gotcha. So over the course of the next 10 months, Rachel, he groomed you to the place where he was able to sexually assault you on two different occasions where it was kind of occasion A and occasion B. You think there's a missing occasion C because you got out of there after B, but it was um, being... Uh, it was a burgeoning ritualism from A to B, and you think there would be more ritual from B to C to the point where there, it would C actually would have qualified under all of the elements of what has to be there for a black mass. Is that Ab- a Absolutely, absolutely. So I believe that the next step would have been a, 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 an actual black mass, which, as we know, uh, requires a validly ordained Catholic priest and a virgin, and of course, um, you know, the holy sacrifice of the mass. Um, and um, so in, the, in the, the two times that he assaulted me, both were within the context of the holy sacrifice of the mass. And the first sexual assault was not nearly as ritualistic as the second. The sec- second sexual assault within the holy sacrifice of the mass was, um, it was, yeah, it was like we were uh, a dress rehearsal <laughs> for, for uh, you know, the next step. Um, and my exorcist believes that had um, the third mass taken place, I would have been fully initiated into uh, into his satanic coven or whatever it was. This was this third mass would have been an actual satanic black mass, and um, I would have been fully initiated. We, we believe that he was recruiting me for a particular role. Um, he didn't see me as like a, uh, like a uh, virgin to be discarded, but more like of Agnes, a- right? Agnes is a virgin, like, like a younger yeah, Agnes yes. figure is a virgin to be discarded. That's what you mean. We, he right. wanted an older virgin. Yes. Why was that? Why do you think that was anyway? He, he saw how wholehearted I was for God. And um, according to my exorcist, you know, we believe that he 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 wanted to recruit me so that the work that perhaps I would do for the kingdom of God, uh, I would, in fact, you know, be, be doing for the kingdom of Satan. So 
we believe that he was recruiting me for sort of a high priestess role, um, like a queen bee role, uh, and that I would be operating um, within the church. Uh, he was pushing me toward religious life. Uh, there was a very strong push toward religious life. So I, I kind of assume I would have had this all kind of gone as planned, I would have likely been a religious sister and, you know, a vibrant Catholic nun, uh, Steuben Bill grad, but nobody would have known that underneath it all, I was operating, um, you know, within, I, I dare to call it the deep church, <laughs> you know, uh, sort of the satanic underbelly. Uh, but he was also, uh, as he was grooming me, he was, this had something to do with me recruiting priests. It was under the guise of spiritual motherhood, but he was grooming me to uh, spiritually mother priests. And um, this would have served as some sort of like, I would have been, imagine him as my handler, okay? Yeah. I would have been ultimately recruiting priests into his dark enterprise. Uh, so this, this had this gone, had this gone as planned, according to the exorcist, we believe this would have been really quite frightening and uh, quite magnanimous. Yeah, you would have been a sort of key player in. Yeah. The, I mean, it's it's immoral. We can't do evil to to defeat evil. Where that Catholic consequentialism is not a thing. You're not mm -hmm. allowed at a certain level to go to a deep, a place of deep cover. Remember the eighties Lawrence Fishburne movie, deep cover, like an undercover cop. You can do a little bit of it. You can do um, a cover as shallow as father Elijah in the Michael D O'Brien novel, which you should read if you haven't read, by the way, you can do a cover as shallow as father Christian in windswept house, but you can't do a cover where, you know, like, like Donnie Brasco, uh, the old Johnny Depp movie where he's, he's having to start killing people to pose as a mafia guy. And if you're unwilling to, to kill someone because of the natural law, then it's going to signal to the mafia guys that you're pretending to be a part of that you're, you're an undercover cop. So if that weren't a restraint or a restriction on mm -hmm. the faithful Catholic, you could have, <clears throat> not that you should have, but that it, under that hypothetical, you could have gone deep and really found out, how and if I, I guess I should say if first, but if so, how these covens that Malachi Martin talks about so much in Windswept House are related, how mm -hmm. they uh, communicate with one another, mm -hmm. how their organizational structure works, all of that. You sound like you were almost being groomed for, it sounds like, yes, Iopine, a leadership role. And, uh, yes. but I mean, what we're keeping off the record here, Rachel. Yes. I'm just going to say this once for the people that weren't privy to my private conversation with you before we started rolling tape. It, you're not, you're not like speculating over much that it's very, very clear yeah. that you were a cleric, uh, clerical ritual rape victim or a, a clerical ritual sexual assault victim. Yeah. Um, and he confessed at law to sexually assaulting you. Correct. Yes. And, and the statutory law in California covers this if it's a cleric uh saying that this is the will of god to a congregant or something like that yes yeah. okay good so i just wanted to ascertain that um yeah. and, and without going into a lot of detail you know when you have a catholic priest willing to weaponize the holy eucharist 
in this particular way, and then the body of a virgin. Uh, you know, there's you know it's you know it's from the pits of hell. This is absolutely satanic. So I, it's very clear. It's very very clear, and um, it's taken me many years to get to the point of being able to kind of use this language, because I know people are going to say I'm this, I'm that, whatever, but um, the truth is the truth, and I'm ready to tell it. Right. Now, as for, so so yes, there was an absolute desecration of a consecrated host, and uh, this was not in the sanctuary, this was in your basement. Is that correct? Yes, yes. Um, so again, like you had said, it was kind of like uh, a trial run or it was it was just a grooming. It was a grooming process. Um, but, you know, the candles were lit. I was wearing my holy veil, my white veil from Lourdes. Um, you know, he was naked with his stole on, things like that. Oh, gosh, I don't want to talk about this with ch- if children are listening, but yeah. uh, evil, pure yeah. evil. So people was, get the picture. You're not, you're not guessing. Totally, oh, you know, the, the hardest thing about this for so many years was like, if I ever talk about this stuff, people are going to just say, what a stupid airhead. What, you know, why did you fall for this? That sort of thing. And at this point, I'm able to talk about more about the grooming process, but also about some of the, um, the, sort of the witchcraft that was involved in this, you know, my exorcist has really helped me to understand this was, this was like really high level warfare, you know, uh, really high level warfare. And so, um, again, I lost my train of thought. But <laughs> but, bits of your hair, right? Like, which I, I know that from lots oh. of folks that I, that have had direct experiences with witchcraft. You took bits of your hair. You wanted oh, yeah. to the jewelry. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, he obtained my jewelry, and this is all like in really, uh, you know, he came like you had we were talking about before. Um, he came to me with some of his jewelry and said, "Here, this is the, my most precious. Um, you know, it was a religious piece of jewelry. I want to give this to you." So then, what do I do? Oh, okay, Father. Well, here, here's my here's my most precious jewelry, Father. You know, things like that. And then he he got a clump of my hair. Stuff. So this is all really important information. <laughs> uh, people, yeah, exactly. So we have the element of the ritual witchcraft. We have the yeah. element of ritual Eucharistic desecration. I don't want to say too much, but that uh, people are asking what in the comments. It is the most sexual desecration that you can imagine uh, happening to the Eucharist, right? You, you, you're not speculating. This is what this is what he was, this is the move he was pulling, correct? At the second uh, assault? Yes, I, yeah. Yeah, wow. yeah, so, so that's what I'm saying. Like when we say we're using the legally cautious uh, terminological nuances to say, look, I think this is what he was gonna do at the third assault. But I, I wanna make it perfectly clear for, for listeners that essentially that would have just involved probably moving the the locus in quo the scene to an actual sanctuary maybe having a con celebrant you and i speculate your your exorcist speculates but you had most of the elements of a black mass at the second assault um uh there is that correct rachel yeah he he brought me right to the edge um and so um 
it was marvelous. My, my youth minister from 20 years ago just called me in the middle of the night and, uh, and two nights ago. And she just said, Rachel, uh, you were never stupid. Jesus called you to break this thing open. Yeah. And so when I, I get really nervous when I start talking about some of this stuff because of the attacks that people will say, I was so stupid. But um, I know that our blessed Lord permitted this for a reason. He permitted me to come into contact with the heart of, um, of the evil that's operating within uh, the bride of Christ, Holy Mother Church. He allowed me to come face to face with it. Um, to get burned by it pretty bad, but I didn't get sucked in. And that is a miracle that I attribute to Our Lady, particularly uh, particularly Our Lady of Fatima. Um, and so uh, Mary <laughs> and her triumph is really uh, just at the forefront of my mind and my heart. Um, because I know that Mary will will ultimately, uh, she will ultimately crush the, 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 the serpent and her heart will triumph. Uh, but yes, what is happening right now is very satanic at its heart. And um, I am a witness to, to the Satanism aspect of, of this evil infiltration. Rachel, I had a question. Um, some people in chat are also wondering the same thing. Um, speaking about Our Lady and Our Lord preserving you through this experience, what, um, two things, what brought you out? What was the beginning of you realizing that this was uh, just holy evil? And what brought you out of this? And also people are wondering the role of your exorcist in the healing process. How, what was his role in all of this as well? Yes. Um, so my, well, I'll start with the second question. My my exorcist uh, worked with me over the course of 10 months. Um, and this is already, I've done some interviews and this is already out in the public. So I'm okay with sharing this. Um, I was never diabolically possessed, but I was oppressed by several, I think it was five or six, um, a very high level occult demons and, and witchcraft demons as a result of these rituals. Um, Deliverance took 10 months, and on August 15th, 2020, I was fully liberated. Um, and uh, I. It's just Our Lady. She. She showed up, and I was set free. Mary showed up, and my exorcist, and there were people present. It's one of the most beautiful moments of my life was the moment that I was liberated. Um, so my exorcist is the dearest priest to both me and my husband. And um, of course, he's one that's being, uh, you know, practically canceled. He's experiencing a lot of um, persecution, but it is because he is, he is truly our lady's priest and, um, he would often tell me when we were at the heights of spiritual combat and my body was just getting beat up and he would say, uh, our lady is calling the ones that the devil thought he had. 
And he would encourage me that Our Lady was calling me to something. And now I know what that is. Right. Yeah, because I mean, if I could just jump in for a sec, it's like Jeffrey Dahmer, one of his victims, actually, I don't want to butcher the story, but he, he escaped temporarily and he ran to a police department and and he was able to splutter out the story that Jeffrey Dahmer was doing these unspeakable things to him. Yeah. And Dahmer went down and was able to convince the cops, like, my friend's a little crazy. Well, the police re-delivered him back to Dahmer. Right. They, yeah. they gave him back into the clutches of, of his, ultimately, his murderer. Because, because, because... Uh, you know, New York, New York City uh, street crime. They, they did a great, uh, a big pathological report on why before the guardian angels, no one would jump in and help people in New York City 1970s street crime. It's because people have a tendency toward normalcy bias. And they're like, I don't want to believe this is going on. Uh, yeah, I, I kind of see it out my windows, but that must just be some, you know, some dispute among friends or something. And it got a little out of control. Or in the case of Dahmer, they're like, no, I'm not going to believe that. Here, go back, go back with your buddy who's taking care of you, who was Jeffrey Dahmer himself, who ended up killing him. My point is, yeah, what you're called to show is the veracity of the horror that's going on in satanic covens in the church, which, from an a posterior perspective, after we accept these events as true. Now it makes the events in the church over the last 50 to 60 years clarify even stuff as banal comparatively as liturgical degradation uh, after the council, things like that. It's like these clerics, not all of them are Satanists, Mm -hmm. but there are enough Satanists in enough high places Mm -hmm. to be moving the ball upfield, conveying Luciferianism the sex sins are evidence enough, but oh, yeah. also among the people that they're not molesting in black masses or what have you, they're mm-hmm. taking away any aspects of true Catholic spirituality and they are turning us all into non-believers. So it all is, as they say, of a, of a piece. And all I want to say to you is like, thanks for sharing your story because you, along with real life Agnes, mm-hmm. uh, um, who, I think has you you have reason to believe she's she's heard about your story and she's a hero. Oh, yes. that, yeah. that you guys are showing us this is not fiction. Oh, and I, oh, oh! I'm walking with another woman um, who was raped in a similar way by a Catholic priest. Um, hers is, her situation is very clearly SRA, um, and uh, this is not. Um, isolated by any means. This happens more um, than we are aware of. In fact, when I came forward, I just did an article with Dr. Janet Smith, and I got a lot of feedback, uh, particularly from the exorcist community. One um, person who assists at exorcisms nationwide reached out and said, priestly involvement in the occult is uh, very, that's very that's not the unusual thing. The unusual thing is what you're doing, speaking out about it. Right. He said priestly involvement in the occult is, is fairly prevalent. But as you say, not all priests are Satanists, but the reality is so many priests are blackmailable 
And so that's how these guys get, they scale up, they climb because of the black male ability. They're, a, they're able to uh, manipulate and to climb the ladder and get to the top. That's what, that's what I believe is going on here. I mean, look at Cardinal Bernadine. <laughs> right. How did he become? Do you see what I'm saying? And my, my perpetrator would say all the time, that he wanted to be a bishop by the age of 35. He was a clerical climber. So in some ways, I think to myself, whoa, our lady, you know, used, used me to take out a future Cardinal Bernadine. Right, right. So can we move on now, uh, if with your permission, Rachel, to yeah. the reasonable, I would say uh, readily apparent speculation as to how far up the flagpole this goes let's let's use an ugly word let's use an ugly word here something you and i think your exorcist take to be cover up i, I mean we're not again we're not being overly speculative we're, we're protecting against de defamation claims but can you tell us in what sense you believe this thing was covered up it's it's quite a strong showing you have Oh, yes. Um, this this McElroy's cover up was covered by mainstream media in 2018. Uh, I did an interview that was republished, but it was published in the Wall Street Journal. And they go really deeply into this cover up. Uh, basically, uh, James Backstrom, who was uh, the Dakota County attorney, he said that uh, the Diocese of San Diego, underneath the leadership of Bishop McElroy, refused to work with the police during the criminal investigation into my ritual rape. And uh, you, can, you can see it online. Um, they even said, we don't have any files. We don't have a report on this. And that was a lie. And, and James Backstrom goes on the record calling out their lies. And uh, they also said something to him like, even if we did have files, we wouldn't give them to you. I mean, it was, it was atrocious. I remember the criminal investigator talking to me and just being like, who do these people think they are? It's the narcissism. It was like they were unwilling to work uh, with the police in investigating my case. And so I don't even know to this day what files they have on my perpetrator. Uh, but I, I will tell you this, this is interesting. Um, in 2019, I actually made a call to the Diocese of San Diego and um, Mary Acosta, the victim's advocate at the time, she and I spoke and she didn't know who I was at the time. Um, <laughs> I just called and we had a marvelous conversation. I have this all on record. And I told her all about, you know, my abuse and, and everything. She didn't know that I had already blown the whistle and that I had already you know, done all the, uh, this exposure. She just is thinking she's talking to this sweet girl and so we're having this conversation. And, and I told her about, about, you know, my abuse. And she said that she had other a number of other satanic ritual abuse cases that she was dealing with by the priests in San Diego. So she just told me this, right? It was like super nonchalant. And then she said, Oh, I have a, uh, I have a therapist on hand that deals specifically with satanic ritual abuse here locally in San Diego. Maybe we could set up, you know, 
for you to get help from him. So this was like uh, mind blowing to me. I'm like, what is going on? Is satanic ritual abuse like a thing with San Diego clergy or something? Or I thought, you know, she was talking about it in a way that really shocked me. So, and that's all on record. I feel totally fine speaking yeah. about that on, on air. Yeah, I want I, people to see we're, we're walking a middle line between asserting every last aspect of this as already demonstrated. But it, we're, we're, in some senses, we're being hyper-conservative, you and yes. I, because the, the priest, did uh, Bertram, d- did admit to this. Uh, it is codified in California law. He confessed to it. And um, as per the cover-up, like you said, Wall Street Journal in 2018 was willing to treat it like a cover-up. And oh, yeah. it has to go all the way to the sovereign in the diocese. And the sovereign of the diocese was... Bishop McElroy, who we're going to talk about in a second. Steph I has, remember Steph has, we lived in San Diego a few years ago, and I remember a story, reading a story at the time, speaking of weird things going on in San Diego diocese, um, that a priest was having relations with, I guess, some sex workers on the altar at one of the churches. And this in guy San in San Diego, it was like near um, between Alpine and San Diego, remember? And they, the reason they knew this is because a parishioner had showed up for adoration and had seen at night what was going on and reported it. And they ended up having to go and cleanse the altar and do all sorts of, you know, uh, I guess, purification for the altar after this had happened. So when you're telling, when you, when you just said like, what's going on in San Diego, I, that just really struck home. Cause I remember at the time thinking, what? What is happening? What is happening? So the, the, the larger question looms. I wish I remembered that. Uh, we, we were in San Diego after Rome. Um, so that's funny. We went right from Rome to brief stint in my hometown, Bakersfield. And then I went, you know, for, for three years to law school in San Diego, Rachel. So, so I went from Rome almost directly to San Diego at almost the same time period this was happening, just staggered by a year or so. The bigger question is this, what, I mean, is something large going on in a really, really nefarious way with Satanism in the clergy in San Diego, in that diocese? Or if we zoom out still a little more, is something large going on with the clergy and Satanism and hatred for Catholic traditions, which as far as I'm concerned is Satanism. Uh, It might be a, a rush to judgment but i don't think so is it going on in like many or all dioceses and that's why your testimony and your striving for perfection and to undo essentially being groomed and brainwashed um is so important and so helpful what's Sorry, it? it was louisiana it was louisiana this happened okay yes but yeah it was louisiana good well that kind of makes my point though yeah. this is yeah. not just I don't know. So, okay, so let's get back to McElroy because for, for folks that have forgotten in the upcoming extraordinary consistory of Cardinals in less than a month in August, Bishop McElroy, who you, your exorcist, me, but basically anyone that understands the way the diocese and the chancery works is the sovereign and a San Diego cover-up is the equivalent sin if we can impute it to the sovereign, mm-hmm. uh, this would be McElroy. And he is about to become a cardinal at, at the upcoming synod. So this matters a lot. He seems to be 
Pope Francis's second favorite American cleric, second only to Supich, also really dirty. So do you want to um, just tell us everything, marshal all the facts for us, if you can remember them, that would lead to the overwhelming impression, if not certainty, no certainties in life, that this was a cover-up in San Diego. It really sounds like it. Yes. Um, so... In 2014, I was newly married and I had promised myself that once I was married and feeling a little bit more um, prepared for, for, for the trauma involved with this, uh, it just, I just needed to be kind of in a stable place, to be honest, um, vocationally. I promised myself that I would file a report with the church um, and I had no intention whatsoever uh, you know, making a big deal of this. I wanted to keep this as hush-hush as possible. I just wanted to make sure that this didn't happen to anybody else. So in 2014, I was newly married. My husband and I were living in Raleigh, North Carolina. And I just called the local diocese of Raleigh. And a man by the name of John Pendergrass came over with a beautiful, um, a uh, counselor named Louise Dillon from Catholic Charities. They came over, they sat in our apartment for about three hours as I just, I, this was excruciating for me to go over these details. Uh, now I've, I've had to do this with police, lawyers, bishops, here, you know, interview everyone, um, in, exorcists. So I'm comfortable talking about all this, but at the time I was not comfortable. This was really, 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 really difficult for me to address. Um, but in, in uh, 2014, he wrote up a, a report and it went into detail about the ritual and about um, how he had violated me, how he had sexually injured me. And um, he put this together and he sent it to the Diocese of San Diego. And uh, the bishop at the time had just died. I think his name was like Cirillo Flores, maybe. Um, I might not have that right, but uh, the bishop had died. And so Monsignor Callahan uh, received the report. Um, and so he was like serving in the role at the time. And he ended up asking my perpetrator to come in and to review the report. And he did admit guilt. Um, sometimes I, I've wondered, now, why would he admit guilt when <laughs> there's been... So many instances of him not taking responsibility. Like right. I, I asked myself why, you know, and, and I think it's because I was so non-threatening and I made this known to the church that I wasn't going to sue. I wasn't going to go to the police. I wasn't going to, you know, so for one reason or another, he did, he did, he did admit. And, um, and then they tried to hush, keep this hush, hush, shove it under the rug. They sent him away, I believe to St. Luke's for six months. Uh, which is that'll you know, do the trick right, right. <laughs> six months of rehab but of course they told the people in san diego that he uh was suffering from ptsd from an arson attack on the church and you know he was uh he, he was exhausted he just needed you know like a little vacation he needed to go away on a leave of absence there was no mention of the allegations um and so i just kind of trusted they were taking everything seriously and they were handling it correctly. Um, John Pendergrass told me that he had been removed from ministry. And so, you know, I had just moved on with my life. Fast forward to 2016, 
I find out that um, he was back in ministry. He had been moved and he had, um, he, he, he had exposure to young children and to young adults. And um, I, I did discover through a series of conversations that he was exhibiting uh, the same behaviors uh, like um, in the grooming process, really, that he had been exhibiting with me with other young women. And so I uh, took it upon myself to finally call the police. And um, long story short, after a two year long criminal procedure, uh, we, I was not about to get on a plane for to go to trial. Um, I was packing my bags and they, and they called and said, he's pleading guilty. He's pleading guilty because Monsignor Callahan, who had been subpoenaed, called up, called the prosecutor, Heather Pipenhagen, and said he did it. And he admitted it to me back in 2014. Wow. He said, I don't want to come to trial. I don't want to do this. So Monsignor Callahan waited till the last moment, then he threw him under the bus. And I was thrilled that Bertrand was admitting. Um, and I didn't want, I just didn't. But he, part of the guilty plea was that um, he would avoid jail time. And so in some ways I regret uh, accepting or entering the guilty plea because he was facing up to 15 years of prison. But at that point I had been so bullied to the ground that I just, and there had been so many lies surrounding this and that his, I mean, the false narratives, everything. I just, I, I wanted his admission above all else. Right. I just wanted him to admit guilt. Not so, to mention you told me, uh, Rachel, that, during the proceedings, the wind-up to trial, there had been mysterious events that you interpreted as intimidation. You, yes. you know, you can neither confirm them yep. apodictically, but but they they sounded pretty spooky. And uh, I felt I, that my life was in threat was was threatened. Yes, right. We had police surveillance around our house at one point for three weeks. That's intense, man. I, I mean, look, look, people out there, parish orphans, retrogrades. What you have to understand is. Jeffrey Dahmer's victim wasn't lying. Yeah, Jeffrey Dahmer was. Really, really, really spooky stuff is afoot. The game's afoot in the church. And now we're just figuring out what it is. I, and by now, I mean the last 10 years, specifically really the last four since the summer of shame in 2018. It's all coming out. It's all yeah. during the Trump presidency when um, sort of the inauguration of the Trump era was earlier in the week before Trump was made president in November of 16, where we found out American elites, uh, you know, Hillary Clinton campaign people, probably, who knows, probably the Clintons themselves through WikiLeaks were taking place in satanic uh, seances with Marina Abramovich. That's arguably why Trump won the election. Thank you very much, Julian Assange. We're just getting red-pilled, hopefully most of you out there not black-pilled, to the fact that pedo sex magic is somehow inside the deep church, in the culture at large, especially inside the deep state, a big, a prominent means of power getting for world elites. And it's just, it's really weird Mm -hmm. We're all tempted by normalcy bias at all time to, to, to go back to sleep, go back into the matrix and be like, this is too weird, man. No one, no one tries to eat. There's no Jeffrey Dahmer's out there. No one's trying to eat someone's uh, 
organs, particularly the sex organs. That's too weird. That doesn't happen. It turns out it does. And, you know, brave folks like you uh, and, and real life Agnes and, and countless others are now emerging to say, this is unpleasant as hell, but it's real. And it has much to do ostensibly with it. Yeah. With the church being real and with the attack on even the liturgy and the attack on even traditional spirituality being all too real and all too weaponized. So it, it all goes together. I'm, I'm, a, I'm an idea guy. I'm a big picture guy. I hear stories like yours, Rachel, and I just think, wow, who are the people being elevated in the church? The people mm -hmm. like your Bishop McElroy. And who are the people that are being suppressed in the church? You said it, it sounded like your, your, your goodly exorcist. The good guys yes. are being treated like bad guys and vice versa. Yes. Which means something. Mm-hmm. What do you think it means? <laughs> How do you put all this together and what's the big picture? Ste Steph wants to ask you a couple things too, but what do you think all this means? Me? <laughs> what do I think? Yeah, if you, if, you, if, you, if you took a stab at it, what do you think the big picture end game is of folks like Satanist pedo predators? Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, there's something really apocalyptic going on and I... I just know that this has to do with Our Lady of Fatima. This has to do with um, this. This has to do with uh, the, the, this battle between uh, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And um, I believe that uh, you know her triumph is coming. Uh, this, this is not the end, but we are living in, I believe, the most confusing and dark time thus far in the life of the church. Did you know that Our Lady of Good Success, one of her prophecies at Quito, Ecuador in the 1500s was that there would be a you know, priest that would fall like the, like the angels fell. A third of them were swept like stars from heaven and that they would be corrupted and that the demon, here she meant Satan, takes no greater pleasure than in corrupting what's supposed to be the incorruptible priests of God. And of course, this would include the their endemic enjoyment of corrupting virgins but she, she would say that in the in the 20th century this would become the way so widespread that it would be uh, unfortunately part of the way of being in the church did you know that and that goes with fatima that goes with akita that goes wow. with la Salette. it's it's wild that was 500 years beforehand so yes once again thanks thanks for your bravery and uh coming out and all that Oh. Steph, did you have, did you want yeah, to I just had some 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 basic questions of that came to mind. Uh, number one, how are you now, and and did how did this impact your faith? Mm. And which leads me to my next question, which is, you're married now, and we know how important the you know the wifely vocation is, and and how has this imp impacted that, and how is your husband? I'm sure he's had a very uh, pivotal role in you know, helping you to deal with some of this, how, what has his role been in all of this as well? Uh, yes. So um, we would probably need a whole another episode for that, to be honest, because my husband um, was right in the mix of this whole thing. Uh, it's almost like God allowed him someone on the inside to kind of drag me out, if that makes sense. Um, but my husband was also exposed to my predator and uh, my predator was 
grooming my husband, not sexually, but he was, um, he was trying to kind of groom him into this as well. Rich was in Rome at the NAC when I met him. And so there's, there's the dynamics here are um, pretty unbelievable. Uh, But uh, it was my husband um, who ultimately uh, by the grace of God and our lady who ultimately uh, got me out of this. Um, He was at the NAC when you were, uh, for people that don't know, the NAC is not actually like a university type college. It's where most of the North American Canadian and, and, uh, American students live, right? Mm-hmm. So people here in North American college, they think it's one of the, like the pontifical universities. We, we had breakfast there a couple of times, but you were able to meet each other for the first time there, Rachel. Yes, on Thanksgiving night um, in 2009. And again, it's a, actually a very long story, but um, our vocational journey was all wrapped up in the midst of this um, the satanic predation of, of Jacob Bertrand. So um, my husband has been equally, um, but in a different way, harmed through this whole thing. But uh, together, you know, our, our lady saved us through each other, really, um, and kind of pulled us out of this. And, and that, that was really how this whole thing backfired. This whole thing backfired because the plan was never that Rich and Rachel were to uh, to get married, but really I was supposed to actually recruit Rich, um, my husband Rich, into this um, and have Rich be a priest and be brought into this. So oh, Rich wasn't. Uh, yes. Can you tell us some of the details about that. You're 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 certain that uh, Bertrand actually. Had, had expressed this to you? That you- oh, Bertrand, Bertrand was grooming my husband directly through, yes. Wow. Yes. Wow. So it, that, see how this, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable really. Um, but I was supposed to recruit Rich into this. I mean, according to my exorcist, I was supposed to have this all gone as planned. My exorcist believes that um, Bertrand's plan was for Rich to be a, was to, uh, be a corrupted priest that I would have been kind of the, the, the person. To, yeah. Yeah. The, you, you'd you know what I'm saying? Like the handling aspect, the uh, Bertrand was um, using me as a weapon against good and holy priests, but everything backfired and, and um, none of it came to fruition. Thanks be to God. What but, was uh, the yeah. ultimate goal for you? May I ask? Like what was, were you just used to bring in some of these the, the these priests to corrupt or what was, and then you were just going to be disposed of once he got like his quota of priests to corrupt or? Yeah, my exorcist, my exorcist does not believe that um, I would have been disposed of, but that I would have been operating at, at, at a very high level as a priestess or as a queen bee of sorts. Um, and that I would have been trafficked, so to speak, among, or just, involved in occult ritual at very high levels within within the church does your exorcist believe that if if let's say you had been trafficked rachel does he believe that you would have been trafficked only to clerics or <laughs> to secular folks in the secular world as well i'm thinking he believes, he believes both interesting interesting does mm-hmm. he believe that there's a strong open line of communication between clerical 
sex traffickers and secular sex traffickers. I think of the, the archdiocese of Washington, D.C. for some reason, you know, what could that reason be? I mean, so I can't really speak to that because he and I have never talked about it in detail, but I think that the answer is yes to what, what your question. Yeah, yeah. Did you have something else? Yeah, there? I'm just, there's people in, in chat who aren't Catholic, and I think a lot of people hear your story among, and all of us sitting here and many that are watching are faithful Catholics and would live and die for the church. And they yeah. ask them, they ask us, they say, you hear this, and this is going on in your church. Why are you still there? Why are you still Catholic with this sort of infiltration and evil going on inside the ranks? I, before Rachel says something, I'd say, wow, what a silly question, right? <laughs> it's the church is targeted because yes. it's the one true religion. It's the one true uh, iteration of Christianity. What do you what do you say? Rachel? I mean, it's proof positive of that. What do you say, Rachel? Yes, and I, I just answered this on, on the Patrick Coffin show, I, um, this very question. Of course, the Eucharist, of course, the sacraments, uh, but in a particular way for me, um, you know, as someone who has experienced so much deception, so much diabolical disorientation, so much trickery, I love, I am a lover of and a defender of the truth. The truth and the Catholic faith is the truth. And there is no one on the face of the planet, no power of hell that will take the truth away from me. I stand firm in the truth. And it's not, it's not that I am so strong. It's that I know that God, my father and our Lord Jesus Christ and the Holy Ghost is strong in me and they will never let me go. So when I am tempted to be afraid that I will somehow fall away, I just know that my, my God, my father will never let me go. His grace is sufficient for me to remain faithful and to uh, remain rooted. And so the sacraments, uh, you know, uh, Holy Eucharist, a daily, uh, well, I, it took 10 years almost to start to go back to daily mass. And uh, my husband and I really only attend the traditional Latin mass at this point. Uh, but it, you know, it is now back a part of my life. And, um, you know, we obviously go, we live in a state of grace and we practice the faith and we uh, go to confession regularly. And I could not exist without, you know, my bread and butter without the sacraments. And so I, so thank God. Uh, and, and particularly our lady, for um, restoring me, not only in my dignity, but um, my faith is now, it is so much stronger as, <laughs> as a consequence of, of witnessing this. Yeah. It, it's like, it's so true. All of this is so true. It's my, I mean, it's my life. I'm a living witness to this. So, um, you know, Our Lady of Fatima and, and uh, everything else that you just, Our Lady of La Salette, it, it's this is all real. This is real. And it, I think that she, meaning the Immaculata, uh, fixes my eyes on Jesus and helps me to see what it is that is going on right now. Without Mary, I would be so lost. <laughs> so um, I guess- yeah, By way of answering the same question, I would just add to- your excellent answer and say this much the 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 potencies at work here are self-evident the the, the preternatural potencies the incentivization of wicked people 
to work with Satan, always within um, some sort of perversion of Roman Catholicism, always, mm-hmm. or at, at, at the very least, one of the Eucharistic iterations of Christianity, including Eastern Orthodox, is like almost proof positive of the truth of the faith, even though it's working in the opposite direction. There's a potency that wicked people uh, trade on to get real heightened power. Whether we're talking about the powers, the vulgar displays of power, like the ability to levitate or have superhuman strength or to rise through the ranks of culture and politics or, or, or something more sexually deviant, it's, it's pretty apparent I would say, even if I examine the psychology motivating the behavior of Bertrand, Mm -hmm. uh, I heard some of the gory details. We didn't need to get into them here today. You you insinuated enough. But what I can tell the listener and the the particular listener who made that question two minutes ago is that an extraordinary amount of, pardon, pardon the expression, Rachel, don't get mad at me, restraint was exercised by Bertrand insofar as if you were just some, you know, pathetic beta cuck taking advantage opportunistically of access to a young woman without a diabolic uh, program in mind, then the first encounter, the first sexual assault of you would have, he probably would have gone all the way. Yeah. The second, but he was he was grooming you by yeah. program, by an apparent program, mm-hmm. I would opine. The second one was significantly enhanced in terms of its um, procedure, mm-hmm. its ritual, mm-hmm. and it was still an air of restraint. He didn't just like rape you. Right. And the third one, you you have enough evidence to reasonably opine, speculate that that would have been an actual black mass. But that's not the same thing. When you watch a true crime show, Steph, Steph watches them. I, 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 all, all ladies or most ladies like to watch these shows about true crime. I, there's, they don't exercise restraint, right? They're just pervy opportunists, pervy, wicked opportunists. Almost all of the time they're abused as kids. It's not like, well, I had the chance to rape this chick in a basement uh, but I'm going to wait till next time and I'm going to make sure that I have my stole on and all that. That <laughs> no. proves the efficacy yes. of black masses. It proves as far I as I'm concerned. There's other types of, of, of rape, uh, you know, like on these crime shows, it's like the rape is the purpose. Right. With you, it's like the the evil, the diabolical was the purpose. And so yeah. that requires a lot more manipulation, grooming. It requires time and planning and ritual. Ritual. And, Elements and, of ritual. And incorporating certain things in into the rape right. that that serves the diabolical, because the rape isn't necessarily the, the end. The end. Yeah. It's the right. it's serving serving evil is what the Yes, point. yes. And that's the answer to the question that uh, that proves that it's all real, you know, right. My exorcist, I had forgotten to say this, Uh, you know, my exorcist, uh, like I, like I said, uh, I was, I was oppressed by five or six, several high ranking um, occult demons. And he actually said that they were more powerful than the demons that he would cast out of the possessed. Wow. 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 And, um, and so they were oppressing me. 
I was not diabolically obsessed. I was not diabolically uh, possessed, but I was oppressed. Uh, And he, he would say this had nothing to do with sex. This had everything to do with power and the occult. So that exactly what you're saying, like, had it just been that he wanted to uh, take my virginity or so to speak, he would have just done that. No, this was a very calculated attempt at preparing me for a satanic black mass, which would have served as a, a point of initiation into what it was that he was drawing me into a very dark enterprise that would have been involved a lot of people. Right. Yeah. Meth- methods, the watchword. Yeah. R- rapists, they might have a little bit of a calling card, but it's not method with restraint and uh, uh, any kind of telos or end other than just satisfying some base impulse mm-hmm. to copulate, forcibly copulate. That's not what was going on with you. So I, I really don't get, Rachel, uh, why, and I'm not trying to pick on the person that asked the question, but I don't get how you don't get it. The Eucharist is real. Black masses always involve desecration of the Eucharist because the Eucharist is the body and blood of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And so you don't get this kind of nitpicking on the Protestant worship services that have a a little, little pretend Eucharist or whatever, whatever they do, they're not consecrated hosts. Their, their little uh, um, cracker and, and grape juice session because the demons who are much smarter than we are know that would be doing nothing. That wouldn't be an actual eff- efficacious desecration of our Lord. That's a desecration of Triscuit Incorporated or whatever the hell yeah. they use. So uh, God bless you. That's all I can say. I think I, we should all just take a second and just say a quick prayer for Rachel and her husband um, because I just can't even imagine... Um, it sounds like you've really you've come through it on the other side on the up and up but yes just the trauma of going through something like that i just can't even imagine being taken advantage of and not only in a sexual way but like the the attack on the attempted attack on your faith Mm -hmm. and your devotion to our lord and our lady is perhaps the biggest uh the rhetorical usage yeah. of your favorite saint, yeah. the rhetorical employment of your blind spot or your weak spot, the fact that your your father had died, who you were very close with, had died, and he was a surrogate father. As all all priests are, as a kind of surrogate father for our biological fathers or an additional father. So all of the opportunism uh, in play here is vile. These these guys are. We well, would say, oh, they're a lowly cur. A dog worthy of being kicked, but but they're actually minions of Satan, and that's apparent. So yeah, like, why don't we, Thank if you. you're so willing, close with a just an Our Father, for heaven's sakes, um, because because God bless you and your husband. You guys need it as all of us do. Yeah, let's do that in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God bless you, Rachel. Is there anything you'd like to say, any call outs, websites, parting shots, uh, anything that, that, that you could say that would help your ministry or, or get anything off your chest by closing 
shot here? I think the main thing, you know, my heart is really very missionary. I don't know if I shared this with you, but my husband and I were missionaries on the border of South Sudan uh, before we actually ended up red pilling to everything that was going on. Um, and now, we, you know, Jesus has led me into this um, work of exposure, exposing what's going on, of, you know, exposing the evil. But I guess my heart is, it still is so missionary. And I, I just care so deeply that um, this is cleaned up. I just, I don't want to focus on this. I want to focus on, on Christ and um, on saving souls. But, you know, the church is strangling right now because it's being run by these diabolical narcissists. And so we're not going to get to the real work until this is cleaned up. And so I just wanted to leave, uh, I guess, leave on that note, because my, my, my end goal is really Jesus and, and saving souls trying to get to heaven. But they've made this, this impossible, really, to do what, what, you know, what we're called to do, um, what, what our Lord, what he wants to be have, have, have happen, which is um, his kingdom to come. So I just wanted to leave on that note. Yeah, it's an abomination of, of desolation. Yes. And really the only way the church is going to come out of this totally unprecedented lowest moment is for our Lord to will it. He's allowing it now this is what I say to folks that get spun off about the matter. I mean, I, I don't, I don't like the Novus Ordo. I, I actually strongly dislike it. Yes, I want too. the return to tradition. <laughs> yeah. You know, the deal, we all want the, the restoration of tradition, the, yes. not just the Latin mass to be, attendable but it to be universal once again all that stuff i but i people don't get my approach my approach is look clearly i'm good at reading the big picture here i'm decent at it and this is all happening because our lord's permitting it as some sort of flood you know so, so some sort of flood uh think of the days with noah we have some hopefully new covenant coming uh like like noah and the rainbow but our Lord is allowing us to suffer these things. He is suffering that we suffer. Yes. So I don't know why. I don't know, anagogically speaking, um, what the big design is. Few do. This is God's time. But one thing we ought to all be able to say is the church, by and large, which doesn't mean every last cleric, is being run. It's in the clutches of wicked men and mm -hmm. i know a lot of the neoconservatives like to say well isn't it mainly weak men with a few wicked men i'd, I'd say it's got to be a lot of wicked men and then then maybe some weak men that are enablers as well but yeah the, we have to like remain faithful because yeah the emphasis should be the salvific power of our lord in the, the sacraments but so many of the shows here on rules for retrogrades end up being stuff like this this is um, a couple notches more intense admittedly but i mean i've interviewed james grind before mm -hmm. you know mccarrick's victim uh mm -hmm. that was super intense but mm -hmm. what are we supposed to not talk about it because it's it's not as pleasant as talking about how great and sublime our lord and savior jesus christ is like no we got to tend to it first mm -hmm. it's the shitty part but yeah. we have to tend to it because it's part of the, the, you know, before you can construct a new, you got to clear, clear the land. You got to destruct before you can construct. Right. And Amen. I just, I, to me, it's all become more and more clear and, and it's become more clarifying. And yeah. I, it sounds like 
you look at it the same way, Rachel. We just we'll, we'll continue to pray for you. Thanks for your honesty. I, these aren't easy things to talk about by any stretch. And uh, just God bless you, man. God bless your husband. God bless the, the 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 patriarchy of marriage. It's a secular patriarchy, you know. It's a it's a lay patriarchy, and it has. I think in this time, the solution is it has to rise in prominence because we can actually do something about it. Us households, men who have wives and kids are householders. They can do something there. Self-help is available. Whereas the clerical, the higher patriarchy with these guys that aren't supposed to be perverts and villains and knaves in Roman collars too often are. And we, there's not anything we can do about that, right? Aside from victims can come out and be brave and, and call a spade a spade. But most of the rest of us can't actually do anything with regard to the clerical patriarchy. What we can do is have big, holy families with strong marriages based on lay patriarchy, good husbands, good wives. And that seems to be what you're doing. So thanks. Mm-hmm. Thanks for joining Rules for Retrogrades today, Rachel. And uh, we, we just will continue to pray for you and we'll, we'll see you around the way. And we're, we're rooting for you. We're in your corner. Thank you so much. Parish of Retrogrades, God bless you. Have a good, safe, goodly weekend. Behave well and keep the faith. That's what the Lord wants from us. Love each other. Hug your... Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit.